there's a part of this episode where we talk about childhood sexual abuse. If you do not want to listen to that, we have the details in the show notes of the timestamp that you can skip over. Welcome to another episode of Managing Well. I'm your host, Tanya Ladipo, and I'm very excited to be in conversation today with Farah Harris, LPC. Farah Harris is a psychotherapist and workplace belonging and well-being expert dedicated to disrupting unhealthy work environments. She's the founder and CEO of Working Well Daily, a company that approaches workplace belonging and well-being from a psychosocial and emotional intelligence lens. She's the author of the book, The Color of Emotional Intelligence, Elevating Our Self and Social Awareness to Address Inequities. Farah, I'm so excited to have you here and to really talk about um, kind of the allyship fatigue that I certainly, I think you too, have been um, witnessing. So I think um, just to go in a little bit more, the past few years, there's been a, a surge, I would say, in allyship behaviors in the workplace yes and after a surge there tends to be (laughs) a lull right and so I would love to I think hear hear from you um a little bit about who you are and how you even got into this work you know LPC you're a licensed professional counselor so a therapist by training um which is I'm a licensed clinical social worker therapist by training and here we are working in these workspace as an organization. So I think maybe tell us a little bit about about who you are and how you got to that space. And then let's talk about the the lull. Yeah. So um, I got into the mental health field after being in the corporate space. So my background actually is in marketing. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, there's lots of pivots that we take, but when I felt called so to speak to get into the mental health space i thought i was going to do marriage and family therapy no Uh, (laughs) um after my first couple and it wasn't it was a bad couple it was just it hit me that that wasn't the work that i wanted to do Uh but i knew i was in the space that i was supposed to be in and um i reluctantly opened a private practice i said i guess this is what i'm supposed to do (laughs) and started to see clients but i knew that i wanted to do something beyond the couch especially since Many of my my uh, clients were professional black men and women. Uh, they had their stresses, but definitely were bringing in their work stresses. My husband's in corporate. As I said, I came from a corporate background and I said, you know, in these yet to be United States, we don't necessarily do work well here. You know, we are struggling still with parental leave. Mm-hmm. Our policies around grief is ridiculous. And so mm-hmm. they need you and me in, in these mm-hmm. workplaces because- we we really see the impact on the human spirit, um, how these workplaces and environments have have negatively affected folks' well-being. And so I said, I think I want to start doing, you know, mental health awareness, at least in the workplace. And it started with that and then has kind of grown um, since 2020 when, you know, there was th- this global crisis. People are now paying attention in the workplace about mental health because before it was still trying to pull teeth. Hey, let me talk to your organization. And they're like, yeah, we, we have like, I felt like it was almost like gospel tracks. Like we have, you know, pamphlets on depression. And I'm like, the mental health is beyond that. 
Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. let's talk about what happens when there's a reorg. Let's talk about when there's, you know, furloughs and layoffs. Let's talk about when um, someone's going through grief or if you're going through a separation um, or someone is struggling with with fertility, like all of these things show up in the workplace. And so trying to educate them on the broadness of mental health was a challenge. And then COVID came yes. and everybody had a problem. Yes. <laughs> so it was easier because then people were like, oh, can you come talk to our people about self-care? And can you come, you know, address these issues? And then unfortunately, the murder of George Floyd hit. And then it was like, can you come talk to our black employees about, you know, well-being? Can we create a listening and healing circle? And I said, we 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 can try to do that, but it's not realistic when they're just going back to the same places that are harming them. So if y'all want me to come talk, let's have real conversation. Um, but that's that's kind of like how working well daily kind of grew it it grew really from you know um addressing aware the mental health awareness aspect within the workplace and you know within the last three years really kind of adding um the the diversity equity and inclusion belonging piece to the work that I do mm-hmm. thank you for kind of explaining how you came to be where you are <laughs> um and the 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 connection between mental health and the workplace, right? To your point, we spend so much time at work, you know, yeah. and I made the same shift in my practice. I remember our clients came to us for two main reasons, mm. relationship stress and work stress. So mm. I hundred it right. And so when you spend that much time at work and it is challenging mm-hmm. on, in addition to life challenges. Life stuff, right. Right. There's, there's, and I, to your point, I think, you know, there's, I think because of the pandemic and how it touched everybody, even though it touched everybody differently, it touched mm-hmm. everybody, the new awareness of like, oh, mental health isn't just for like some people or those people, like everybody has, everybody has mental health and sometimes yes. it's strong and sometimes it's being challenged. Yeah. To your point of the workplace, a space to not as a add-on, but as part of the work to address it. That part. Yeah. But we watched, as as you wonderfully stated, that we all were touched in different ways, but we were all touched. Um, this, this awareness of wanting life to be different, um, wanting work to be different, um, and, and, you know, there was also the surge of like home improvement because, you know, so many people were home was like, well, I guess we should paint the house or I guess I could get new furniture since I'm spending so much more time here. I want this place to, to be a place that's more like a sanctuary. It's, it's well, um, or it enhances my well being. And then again, with, with George Floyd, <laughs> we had the perfect, I call it a perfect Petri dish. Yeah. <laughs> to to highlight what has already been right this is for the black community we, we've had our Trayvons we've had our Emmett's we've had our uh, um uh Rodney Kings we had all of these things but we had the rest of the world or should I say the rest of the community here in in the in the U.S. had the luxury of a commute um, going into the off, finding different ways to distract yourself. Like you may have heard the news, but we're not going to talk about that at the water cooler. We're going to talk about those TPS reports that need to get done. But when everybody had to sit down, 
and you are sitting and you are reliving this trauma on Twitter, on Facebook, and you couldn't escape it by a commute or going to the workplace where we don't talk about these things. And people are at home talking about these things. Like, I can't believe this happened. Um, we need to do better. And of course, Black people are like, we've been saying this. saying this, we've been suffering, we've been doing all of these things and you weren't paying attention. Um, so this awakening of some, you know, there's some people who still sleep, um, brought this surge of like allyship. You know, we want to support Black Lives Matter. We want to support, you know, um, our, our marginalized people. So definitely, you know, there was this increase of highlighting disability and all these other uh, groups who've been pushed to the margins. But then it gets tiring because it was all, you know, not truly altruistic. It was more, I feel bad that I didn't notice this before. <laughs> So let me go out and show my solidarity to the black people. And then you start learning or unlearning, you know, the history of this country and it shocks the system. And I think people are like, oh, this is too much. I mean, we live with it every day. So this too much for you is our everyday experience. But this, this is too much, I think, has started to wear on the mental health of those who want to be allies because they're not doing what they need to do to regulate themselves as they're learning the new intel, as they're um, experiencing vicarious trauma, you know, as they're reading and seeing things that they may have avoided before or they were, you know, blissfully ignorant to. Um, and so uh, folks got tired. You and know, I, want, I don't know if I want to, I, I want to do this anymore. Too much. This is too much. It's too much. You know, and you said, you said something earlier that I just want to come back to, sure. um, that it is too much. And you were saying, you know, for people who are enduring the injustices, this is what we just have to deal with. Mm -hmm. And then people who don't are feeling like this is too much. And I think I just want to validate that it you know what it is it is too much for everybody it's too much for people who are not experiencing the mm -hmm. harm directly and it is too much for the people who are experiencing the harm directly like mm -hmm. it is too much to experience hmm. or witness mm -hmm. harm being caused to people period i thought i was going to add more but no. it's too much it's too much and I think the emotional component of that, um, I think I wanted to to kind of bring us to that piece because mm -hmm. and you talk about this in, in your book, um, because the emotional component of it being too much stops people from taking action. And so, so I wanted to slow us down mm -hmm. so we can, because mm -hmm. we're going to, we do want to get to action. <laughs> yeah. Right? And so say, yeah, if you would just say more of for people who are not experiencing harm, and I think I want to be even more specific with my words, this is not to say that life is easy, that there aren't harmful relationships or situations, but people who are not experiencing harm based on identity, so who are not experiencing racialized harm, gender-based harm, um, ability mm -hmm. disability based harm sexuality based harm right people who are not experiencing 
those types of harms. Um, I think I just would love to hear you say more about the how what I'm calling perhaps kind of the stuckness with the heaviness mm -hmm. of the emotion. Oh, I like that. The stuckness of it. Um, yeah, because it's so alarming. And um, I, I feel like because it's so much for those who are enduring and for those who, who you know, I, I liken it to um, the movie, The Matrix, for, for those yeah. of us who are old enough to remember when the movie came out, uh, that, you know, when you start realizing that there are these systems in place that are harming people daily. Yes. And they're, some are very covert and some are, you know, very overt. And because of, you know, I, I say in the book, you know, privilege has blind spots. And mm -hmm. because of your privilege, you may not even be aware that in your workplace, sitting with your colleague, that there's harm happening to them in real time. And once you start seeing that, depending on, but depending on your, like your heart and your headspace, mm. mm. right, you start going, oh my gosh, that goes against my values. Mm. This, this is, no one should be treated this way. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, as we talked about, you know, you start doing this learning and you get almost kind of like analysis paralysis, you get overwhelmed, um, you, by the trauma, by the knowledge and, it becomes almost too daunting because we recognize it's not a one-on-one -on -one situation that these are systems in place. Yes. And so you go, well, what can I do? <laughs> you know, I almost feel like I'm insufficient in, in being able to address this issue. So now I kind of go, well, what do I do with this knowledge now? Mm -hmm. I, I don't think I can do anything. And sometimes we want to slip back into the matrix. Like where I want to go back where it was easy. Where, where I could just go about my day, you know, go to the PTA, <laughs> go to work and live life like everything is okay. And it's like, can you really do that when you know that everybody else isn't okay? And so I really encourage people, I was like, just, just pause, but mm. don't get stuck. Like okay. take a breather. Um, I, I liken it to, you know, um, and I'm forgetting the research already in, in my book, my apologies about like, when you are an activist, you know, so allyship doesn't always mean that you are on the front lines, that you right. are there with a sign, you're, you know, standing in front of a police officer. Um, but most people who are just heavily into that activism, they get burned out because I think it's a seven percent within six years. That's what I read in your book, right? Yes. And so if they get burned out because they are not practicing the pause, mm -hmm. they're not implementing self-care practices. The same thing can happen for us when we're trying to show up for, you know, a community, whether it's the disability community, whether it is, you know, the black community, you know, anti-Asian hate, whatever it is, we have to recognize for me to show up well for them, I have to take care of myself. And that doesn't mean to opt out. Cause then, you know, people want to go, I gotta, you know, get out of jail. free. <laughs> I said, pause. <laughs> Not so, what, so what exactly do you mean by, by pause and, and take care of yourself Yes. in a way that's where you're still present? What exactly, like what, what yeah. would people be doing? Well, you know, some of us get so excited about things and we want to dive in head first. 
and we were doing all the things right, all the rallies, you know, we're, we're reading all the books for watching all the documentaries and not taking time to pace. Like, okay, you watched a documentary. Have you talked to someone? Have you, have you sat with a therapist and processed the emotions that came up from that, that documentary? Have you, um, created a community of people who can challenge you and support you and answer your questions that aren't necessarily part of the community that is being harmed, you know, because it's not yes. necessarily our job to educate you. Um, so that's where I feel like people want to right the wrong so quickly because they feel bad. Like, you know, and, and I, and I'm not saying all of us, but there's like a little bit of shame and guilt, like, oh my gosh, because I didn't know, let me, you know, do all of these things. And it's, it's our lived experience. So this is a daily thing. Uh-huh. It's not going anywhere anytime soon. Uh-huh. So um, taking your time and thinking of it as, as a long game allows you to be able to not emotionally exhaust yourself in the learning and in the doing. So when I say pause, it's, for reflection, it's for processing, it's for uh, regulating yourself, right? And so um, in all things like that we experience, you know, so like even the trauma of, 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 of giving birth, not everybody has a great, easy experience, you know, but your body still experienced trauma, even if you may have had quote unquote, an easy delivery, your body still needs time to heal and to, to um, get back to, some type of regular state and you do that by you know whether it's physical therapy you do that by slowing down you do that by eating well resting you know a new mom needs all of those things and it's not oh i don't have a baby i stop like no you still need to feed this child (laughs) you still need to care for the child but you also need to take care of you so you may not start running a mile or you know every a mile is not what runners do, what, what is it like five miles, you know, a day or whatever, I don't mm-hmm. run, but you start going like, maybe I can start walking right again and then build and yourself. Right. Yeah. And so when we're doing allyship work, which I really don't care for the term, but this is what we're using. Um, we have to be patient and gracious, but steady in our work so that we can build endurance you know, like if we really say this is um, something that's aligned to my values, then I can't opt out because mm-hmm. that would be hypocritical of me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can't sit here and go like, well, this is too much. Let me go ahead and stick my head in the sand. Then it's like, well, is justice really a value for you or does it just sound nice? Because it takes work to be an ally. <laughs> it does. And I'm hearing the importance of, of reflection uh, and to your point, slowing down to reflect, not jumping straight to action. Yeah. Right. And like, I often say it's a cycle of um, self-reflection and action, self-reflection and action. So even Mm. when you're talking about kind of for birthing parents, the process that their body has to go through after giving birth, right. Um, having to slow down, having to readjust to this new state that yes. is going to continue to change, right? Yeah. Which I think is similar to 
to what 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 we're talking about. Yeah, it's a new normal. It's a new normal. It isn't. It's a new normal. Mm-hmm. It's a new normal when you know. I remember when I was um, a practicing clinician when I was still seeing their uh, clients. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked with uh, at one point. I worked with a lot of children who were sexual assault survivors, and. I remember with such clarity realizing, oh, once you understand monsters exist, that was my word. That was my, my word. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm pausing because I see how that could not be well received by people, but that, that was how I was understanding it. Mm -hmm. Um, But like, once you, maybe I think darkness is a better word. You know what? I'm talking myself out of this, and and I want to, I don't want to explain. Oh, come why. back, come back to the monsters because yes, well, you know why the, evil, I wanna, the dark. Yes, and I think that's what I want to. I want to talk yeah. about the darkness um, more than the monsters, and I. This is how I think it's actually tied to some of what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So I've always thought, you know, once you know monsters exist, you can't pretend that they they don't. Uh, they can't go back into the closet and under the bed. But I'm also realizing, you know, so words matter. And so mm-hmm. when we think of monsters, and if I think about people who sexually abuse children, mm-hmm. and the dehumanizing language of calling them a monster, yeah. what they did was monstrosities. What yeah. they did was evil. What they did was unacceptable. Yeah. And I think I wanted to slow myself down with that because when we're actually talking about allyship, it has Mm. nothing to do with sexual abuse Mm. and people realizing the harm they cause, whether it's racism, sexism, right? Mm -hmm. If they get so stuck in, I'm a monster, Mm. I'm a horrible person. I see where you're going. Yes. The identity. It, right if that, yeah. that, if that if that is what you end up taking on then what most people do just because it's human you don't want to know that or think that about yourself so you completely reject it which means you are not going to take any allyship actions that. but if you can instead say oh i have some darkness in me mm. because i have been raised in an environment where the darkness is swirling around me and I have breathed it in like Dr. Beverly Daniel mm-hmm. Tatum talks about, right? Breathing in the cultural racism as smog. Yeah. And so that's in me and then I act it out. It's not me, but it's part of my behavior. And so I want to change that behavior. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I this is my long way. <laughs> no, no. I'm, I'm big on metaphors. I'm a very visually, um, you know, visual thinker. So when you were talking about that, and, and I could understand like the wrestling and even trying to to break that down for, for listeners is what I took from it um, is that as the child being harmed, there are monsters, right? So it's 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 I guess you can say it's about perspective so from the perspective Mm. of the child Mm -hmm. they are dealing with monsters Mm -hmm. from the person who's doing the harm it is that like you said the you know the 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 action is that of 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 a monster the the result of the behavior is monster I'm going to struggle with that word (laughs) 
is evil, is awful, is terrible. Right. It's, it's all of that. And so, and, 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 um, so when you're around the evil, when the room is, is, is consumed by the fog of, of, of this darkness, then yes, everything in it is a monster for the ones that, that are being harmed. Those who have the privilege, so to speak, to, um, whether they intentionally or unintentionally are causing the harm, not realizing that, unfortunately, you are part of the system, you know? So even if you don't want to be perceived as a monster, for those who are being harmed, that is who you are, you know? And I gave the example from um, the interview with with, uh, Muhammad Ali, where, you know, this is (laughs) the white interviewer, is, you know, saying like, not all white people. And he goes, okay, you know, and again, a metaphor. He said, so if there were a hundred snakes in the room or a thousand, I I know I'm probably misquoting. And he's like, and a 10% weren't going to bite me. Do I open the door to all of them to come in? Because I know there's these 10%. It it doesn't make any sense. All I know is snakes. I'm going to get harmed. (laughs) <laughs> and you know what, when you, when you give that, that example in your book, you also were talking about, um, about somebody in the workplace, a, a black man in the workplace and, and his white, uh, manager kept saying, are you participating? Are you listening? Are you in? And like, to that was such a, I thought an interesting pairing because, maybe the manager was just trying to really include him in the conversation and notice that he was quiet but because of his experiences yes valid experiences and because that was a new manager to him so that he didn't know where she was coming from yet he did not know if she was Mm -hmm. um trying to be inclusive like what her her mo was he didn't know her intentions right um so it makes sense that he's coming out with all his past experiences that that she could be trying to cause him harm. Mm-hmm. She could be trying to showcase that he she's inviting him to answer questions that he doesn't have the answers to, and this is going to make him look foolish, right? And so I, I think I wanted to kind of put that you the example you gave in there because when we talk about this darkness and we're sitting in a room um, at work like to give real kind of meat to, to what we're talking about. So now we've got, it's not just the two of them in the room. We've got everybody Mm. else in the room Mm. watching. Yeah. And maybe participating, definitely being present and watching how it's going down. Is this just what she does with everybody? Or maybe all of a sudden I start perking up because like, I've actually never seen her do that with anybody. Why is she doing it with John? Mm. What's going on? Mm. Right. That's where the allyship action yes. awareness comes into yes. being. Yes, a hundred percent. And I think um when you when you bring up that example, then it also reminds me of the other example from Minda Hearts and my conversation with her and how she was, you know, when I asked her, I said, How has like emotional intelligence benefited you? Mm. And, you know, um, she shared definitely how it has helped her in her personal relationships, but she said it allowed me to recognize that when I was being racially aggressed in the workplace, that there possibly were people who didn't stand up for me because they didn't have emotional intelligence. And she was like, it was like this light bulb for her, you know, not necessarily to make 
excuses for inaction, but, you know, and I've worked with uh, adult sexual abuse survivors. And so when we go through their, you know, narrative therapy and go through their stories, it's, you know, as I go, okay, well, let's talk about the family of origin. You know, what do you know about if this was a, a family member that was a parent uh, and then they know that their parent was also sexually molested. And then they know that their grandparent was all. And so it brings this awareness and you go, okay, I'm not making an excuse for their behavior, but there's a reason for their behavior. Okay. That allows me to give grace. And, and if they're moved to forgiveness, they're moved to forgiveness, but it helps you have more clarity to your story yes and so when she shared that with me I was like so happy because it was like it's not to say oh that was okay that they didn't do anything but it allows me to go well if they didn't have the tools how would they have shown up for me you know and so um really trying to equip all of us with, with the EQ skills so that we when we are in the room we can do exactly what you just said where we become aware like wait a minute this you know, our supervisors never called anybody out in a meeting, uh -huh. you know, why this person and really critically thinking, I don't think that we do enough critical thinking in, in, you know, these days. And so to just ask these questions of, oh, that's interesting. You know, I'm curious about that. What is going on? And then, and I want us to lead with that curiosity so that we're not judging and blaming people. We're like, can you tell me why in our meeting that you called out John for because some people are so unaware of their behavior mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and some are very intentional with yes. their behavior, but using our emotional intelligence to um, empathetically call out folks <laughs> on things to go, hey, I'm not sure if you're aware, but whenever we have meetings with Tanya, she's always the one that you ask the most questions to, you know, right. and when she's presenting, but you don't ask as many questions when the other team members present, you know, and the other team members could be male, the other team members could be white, you know, whatever it is that makes you stand out. Um, when we have colleagues or leaders who are asked that those questions, then now it's up to them to go, I wasn't aware of that or right. to go, man, okay, that, that is right. <laughs> um, now I need to do different. I, I, I need to recognize why do I challenge Tanya more than I challenge my, my, my other employees. And then you may have people who just completely deflect and not, you know, take account. Um, but I think the work that we're doing is, is to have people ask the questions when we see something not right and to start opening our eyes to go, well, why, why this person, why this behavior, um, why that response? Um, because I think we've allowed a lot of people to continue in poor behavior, be bad actors, practice mm -hmm. low EQ around right. us because we we aren't reading the room. We're not really paying attention. Mm -hmm. You know, I shared one story um, uh, in my book about being <laughs> being put on the advertisement for you know a a uh, conference mm -hmm. and was like, how the heck did I get to be <laughs> with all of the main stage speakers? Like, why is my face with all these other people when I have such a very, very small part in, in this program? And one of my dear friends, a, a, a white woman, 
when we had the conversation, she's like, I'm so glad you shared this with me because all my black friends was like, um, I mean, that's cute, <laughs> but it's giving. And I'm like, don't say it. I'm feeling it, but don't say it, you know, but they were like, this is, you're the only one. Why is that? And so um, another white colleague of mine who saw the same advertisement, she was the one that was just like, what in the white parade is <laughs> like that? And it was, it tickled me, but she was immediately aware right. that I was the only, you know, chocolate chip in the cookie. Right. And my other dear friend who does so much work around, you know, EQ and, and psych safety was just like, oh, look at my friend. She's on this program. That's so, so excited exciting. for you. And she goes, if you had not told me this, I would not have seen yes. that they completely tokenized you. Yes. That you were just there to show diversity. Right. But you really, it wasn't, it wasn't justified. Right. Because the, the work that I saw for that for that particular event. And can I also pull out of it? If your role had been bigger and it was justified that you were there, it also leads the question to why would you why were you the only one? That too. Right. Right. Yeah. And and to have that conversation with that organization, yes. uh, it took me about a week to go through my processing of my emotions. Cause at first it was, you know, um, I, I'm a person of faith. So I was like, what was meant for evil? <laughs> That's for my good. Like y'all, y'all just elevated me. Thank you. I appreciate it. But I felt, um, that I had to say something for the women who can't, um, I, I'm an independent contractor to them. So I'm like, if you want to stop business, that's fine. Y'all ain't killing my pockets. Um, but what if I was a vendor who really needed your money <laughs> to keep my business going? Or, or what if I was an employee who I'm like, I need to keep my job so I can't say anything. So I told them, you know, because uh, there was one woman who was on the call who, who was like, oh, Fire, thank you so much for your your courage for sharing. And I was like, this isn't about courage. This is about accountability. And to let you know that I can tell you this because of my privilege. Right, right. Wouldn't you say it's both though? Wouldn't you say it's courage and account? Yes. Yes. However, I, I understood where she was coming from as a white woman and I didn't want it to deflect the actual pain that I went through and, and you know, the emotional text. Cause I think it was one of those, Oh, you're so courageous. Thank you so much for gifting us <laughs> with this education. And I was like, you were, hearing me speak to you from a very calm and collected space. Mm -hmm. I'm not crying before you. I'm not raising my voice. I'm not angry or presenting anger, but trust me, there were tears. I was angry, all of these things. So when you're saying, you know, thank you for your courage, it's because you're seeing a collected, calm, regulated person presenting in front of you. And I don't want you to get stuck on that. I want you to understand- the message and the fact that I I'm doing it because I'm privileged to tell you uh -huh. what you did was wrong. Uh -huh. And that was tokenism. Uh -huh. um, and so I, she was taken aback because I do think that it was given to me almost as a, I think she felt it was a compliment, but it's the same thing of like, you're such a strong black woman. Yeah. Yes. 
And I was like, oh, there's a double-edged sword here. And I don't want you to go, wow, she's such a courageous Black woman. No, I'm a hurt Black woman. Yes. That has the privilege to tell you that you hurt me and you're possibly hurting other people in your organization because of your lack of awareness and accountability. Because she did become, the, the marketing person was aware And so before I even had to say anything, she was just like, I know where you're going to go. And, you know, I'll die on this, uh, on the sword. And I was like, well, if you knew it was tokenism, why did you move forward? Right. Right. But that's where, you know, it it baffles me when people know better and still choose to do the harm. You know, and I think I appreciate you saying that because I think that, um, I'm talking about the folks who who truly want to make change, not people who don't, right? So people who don't, you don't. You don't <laughs> spend then, time. <laughs> exactly. But then for the folks that really do want to make change, you know, I think of kind of the model of change and how long it takes for you to go from thinking about wanting to change, saying you're going to do something about it, to actually somebody else seeing the behavior, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even your point of her saying like, I know, I know what you're going to say. So she's thinking about it. And from my hopeful place, the fact that she said it publicly in a forum mm-hmm. where somebody said, this is not okay, mm-hmm. hopefully helps her move closer. And hopefully the other people, not you, yeah, other people there would take that as a learning. Lesson. Yes. To say like, oh, we can't do this again. And that when somebody was like, oh, let's use, let's use this person. They, how much involvement did they have? And mm-hmm. if the end result is everybody looks the same, now we need to go back to the team and say, everybody looks the same. So we need to talk about who's involved in what projects. Mm-hmm. Because we would love to represent and display the diversity we have here. Yeah but this isn't doing it. So what needs to happen behind the scenes? Yeah. To happen? Yeah. And and I, I think I, I'm glad that you said that because it speaks to once you have the awareness, you have an opportunity to do better. You don't, it, it doesn't have to be rectified immediately. Like the situation that, that I shared, once they got the feedback, like, Hey, this is looking very, homogenous there could have been either an opportunity to pivot to go you know what we we may need to add a new speaker uh we may need to change the format or just let it be all white and know next year we cannot (laughs) have this happen again because this goes against our values this goes against what we're you know what we're you know promoting um but to try to throw in a band-aid after you've, you know, and I and I say this is why I think EQ, not that I think I know EQ is very important um, in the work that we're doing, not just to support leaders, but emotional intelligence should be a skill set from the thought of recruitment to marketing to uh, you know, what we're doing with human resources while they're, you know, we're, we're trying to retain them as they're getting ready to exit. Like it should be through the entire employee life cycle. So 
there was this opportunity to go, wow, this is very homogenous. We messed up because we should have already had a pool of diverse speakers and we don't. So we need to really work on that. But it's too late. We messed up. Let's not try to throw a Band-Aid in by highlighting this one Black woman where it just makes things even worse because anybody else who's involved goes, wait a minute, but where was she? I don't see her on the program. Right, right. right. What, what does she speak? You know, I even had to laugh where there was a, a an employee at this organization during this time, like the summit was going and was tagging me on posts and saying, you know, Farah's keynote was, I was like, keynote? Keynote, I spoke for three minutes. Ma'am, where was the keynote? Um, but granted, I know my three minutes were better than the other two women's three minutes. <laughs> Mine was together. My video was good. But it was one of those things where I'm like, don't make something more than what it is. If we're going to talk about equity, then the other two women who did the same work, maybe not in the same quality as me, but the same work should have also been elevated. Yes, yes. Because yeah. I'm like, if you're gonna if you're gonna highlight me and we literally were vignettes to, to time, you know, yep. help me to understand. So it's it's again, you had low EQ when you were putting it together. You've you doubled down on the low EQ <laughs> when it was highlighted, and and you go, well, let's throw in a, a token, okay. And then it was low EQ when you had the opportunity to talk to someone after the fact, like they could have come to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And say, Far, you know what? You may have recognized that your 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 image moved <laughs> in our ad, you know, in our ads, and we moved you here. And I realized that was wrong, but there wasn't even that. You know, there's an opportunity to recover, and they didn't even take that opportunity. So, for those who want to do better, let this be a lesson to you. When we talked about pausing before, yeah, yes. slow down really ask yourself the question, like, even if it makes you look bad, take the hit and don't cause additional harm because you looking bad is not as bad as the now the emotional tax that you put on the tokenized person. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I was just, you just, I feel like summed it up so well of like, what is one thing that people who are, practicing allyship at work who are tired of practicing allyship at work can do and to your point of just like slowing slowing down yeah. see the time to reflect so that you can respond thoughtfully not just kind of have a reaction um I know we're I know we're we're close to time but I just would love to ask one final question is what is something that you now know about leadership that you wish you knew earlier in your career Mm. That's an interesting question <laughs> for me because um although I've I've as I said I was a reluctant entrepreneur or a reluctant private practice owner I'm also a reluctant leader. Uh I've been put into <laughs> leadership I roles. I understand that. You know, at a young age far as do it far as far raise her hand. <laughs> <laughs> but here we are. Um so I hesitate with that because I, I don't know if I've changed as much from who I was 
as a younger person to who I am now. But what I do feel that I've seen in leadership and when I'm working with leaders is I really wish folks would understand how much their story plays in how they lead. Mm. Mm. That, you know, how you grew up, how, how your family of origin either affirmed or, or, or drained um, you, how you, where, where your role was in the family. If you were, you know, the firstborn, sometimes quote unquote, the natural leader. Uh, but if you felt like you were the black sheep, or if you were the one that um, had to mediate everything, you're bringing that, <laughs> that whole environment and role that you played into the way that you lead now. So if you're a conflict avoider, because of however you grew up, you are probably not addressing the issues within your team the way you need to address those issues. Um, if you were the peacemaker, then there may be some people in your team who think that you allow too many things to happen because you know you don't want to rock the boat um, and everything has to be quote unquote peaceful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you had a very authoritative you know parenting, then you may be the one that's like bringing down the hammer on your team. So in in the work that I do as a clinician in my reluctant (laughs) uh, career as a leader, um, I just keep going, like we are our stories, whether you want to believe it or not, (laughs) but our collective narrative uh, is how we show up and how we lead. And the more leaders can understand why they lead the way they do, the better they can be as leaders when they recognize where they have growth edges um, and, and where their strengths are. You know, we actually did a podcast about family dynamics and how that plays into leadership. Everything you're just saying. So I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with Yay! you. <laughs> Far, this has been a wonderful conversation. It's been so rich. I really appreciate hearing just your perspective on on mental health and allyship in the workplace, and kind of how emotional intelligence is the key to all of that. So I really appreciate you spending time with me and being in conversation and slowing down with me as I even kind of rethink language um, as we're on this journey. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. This has been wonderful. And I like slowing down with folks because the world is always so fast paced. But I think if we just slow down a little, we can probably get to where we want to go further. Mm. Thank you for listening to Managing Well. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to learn more about today's episode, go to thelodipogroup.com slash podcast for a worksheet on today's episode. A special thanks to my podcast team and the Ladipo Group who supports this show. Managing Well is produced and edited by Black Faves Brand Studio. I'm your host, Tanya Ladipo. If you have any questions or topics you want to discuss, email me at managingwellpodcast at thelodipogroup.com. Thank you.